This is KYRS Thin Air Community Radio. Welcome to Ceasefire Now, where we focus on political conflicts and wars throughout the world from the standpoint of responsibility for U.S. imperialism. I am your host, Russell Webster. Today I'm joined by two special guests, but first, some updates on Palestine. The year 2022 was an especially brutal year for Palestinians under Israeli occupation in Gaza and the West Bank. But 2023 saw a continuation of Israel violence and in many ways, an escalation. The summer months preceding October 7th, 2023, amounted to what some analysts called a pressure cooker. There was certain to be a blowback from the extreme forms of repression endured by Palestinians under increasingly harsh conditions. The blockades of food, water, and electricity, along with constant state terror and abuse by Israel, all during a global pandemic, coupled with big oil deals between U.S. Israel and oil-producing states, such as Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, finally sparked a violent backlash which gave U.S. Israel a pretext for waging war against its occupied populations in Palestine. And yet it is always the most vulnerable populations that bear the brunt of war and colonialism. Children, women, mothers, disabled, elderly Palestinians are all disproportionately impacted by war and genocide. As of today, the United States and Israel have killed more than 20,000 Palestinians. This includes 8,000 Palestinian children. Countless bodies remain underneath countless piles of rubble. So we don't know how many people have been lost in this war. Over half of Gaza's infrastructure has been crumbled to pieces by relentless carpet bombing. Democracy Now! reports that even prior to October 7th, studies found that the growth of 20% of Gazan children to be stunted by the age of two years old because of poor nutrition, along with massive stress and trauma, which affect growth. There is presently mass starvation and disease throughout Gaza, where roughly two million Palestinians have been displaced by Israel's ethnic cleansing campaign with the close backing and guidance of Washington. The United States refuses to call for a ceasefire and end to the grossly unpopular war. My guests today are two local activists whom I met through protests and other events for Palestine, Enam and Oz. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having us. Well, welcome to the show. So Enam is a Palestinian mother and has spoken against the war as is an educator and activist too, an Afro-Arab Palestinian and a member of the Muslim community. But I know you both are so much more than that. And Nam, please tell me a little bit about yourself and why you're passionate about uh, Palestinian liberation from occupation. Hello, um, this is Inam. I'm very passionate about Palestine. Um, I am Palestinian and have been raised in Palestine. Um, We've done school back and forth in in Palestine, a little village called Derdebuan. Um, 
I'm passionate because honestly, ever since I was a child, it's been a fear for me. Um, I've watched and heard mothers just, you know, times screaming and knowing that they just lost their son due to the fact that the IDF is in our villages just harassing, you know, kids and men and just bothering us in our villages and the next thing you know is a Palestinian kid just trying to defend himself um, might throw a rock or might just try to run and you hear them shooting and you know you just lost your son Um, I've heard mothers just you know begging their children to stay in home the house so they can't get them but even if they're in their house um, there has been several occasions where the IDF has came into our our home and just hung out there and been to my uncle's house and taken them out of their home, beat them, and arrest them for absolutely no reason. Um, it's just been quite traumatizing knowing that they're in our villages as we're hiding for hours, acting like no one's home because they can grab and take whoever they want. And um, it's just been always a thing that I've experienced and It's just been hard. I can't imagine. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Uh, As please uh, tell tell us a bit about yourself too, and and perhaps what what has guided you to be so passionate about Palestine. Sure. So, Assalamualaikum. My name is As. Um, On my dad's side, I'm Afro Arab, um, and. I, I guess I've always kind of ever since I was little I've I've grown up um, feeling like the system that oppresses um, Palestinians oppresses people who are African American in in the U.S. as well. Um, those same systems that uh, are of the ruling class uh, that rely on white supremacy that rely on. Um, capitalism and the subjugation of people. Um, I've always felt that ever since I was little and in my family. Um, I know many, many Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. I uh, have family um, uh, that um, has been, you know, um, persecuted and targeted by Israel and the IDF. I have friends who I've lost um, and like exactly like Inam is saying, I feel like um, this, the pictures and videos that you see coming out of Palestine are horrific. And um, I don't know how anyone with a heart can can stand by and not do anything um, to, to help. So um, I, I've um, this has been, um, you know, what Palestine is, is suffering, how it suffers has been years and years. I mean, ever before I was born. But um, I, I've just kind of started to get more um, confidence um, being an activist and st- uh, speaking up and using my voice because um, I have met people like Inam. I've met um, people in this community that feel that make me feel um, a lot more inspired and um, brave to put myself out there and do things like this and use my voice. And uh, I, I definitely want to help represent the Muslim community, which is really, really um, silenced in Spokane. And um, a lot of a lot of the, that community are immigrants and refugees, many who don't speak English as their first language, but who are incredibly passionate about Palestine and I hope to help them be their voice too. Yeah, I mean, I was 
just talking to Ez today, um, mentioning how um, when this first all started, October 7th, I like I felt so alone just being um, alone here, Palestinian. I don't I don't really know anybody else. And I tried to do some research. How can I be involved with other people that are out there and speaking for what is right and I found a group and it started off by I think seven people total and now um, one of the groups that we have is almost 300 people in it or even more I think so it's just really really nice to know that I'm not alone that there are people out there by being the voice and speaking about Palestine will bring more people to learn and educate so it is very very important for us and I'm very thankful Absolutely. I, I, I just can't say enough how honored I am and, uh, to, be, to be with uh, you all in this movement because it is uh, truly a movement that I, I came uh, conscious of, of Palestine really in 2015, 2016. That's like I spent my whole life like not even knowing really what – like if somebody brought up Palestine – I wouldn't have even begin to tell them where it was. You know, that's that's like how much Americans are cut off from what from what Americans uh, America is doing throughout the world. Uh, so, what I've what I've learned in this in the in the past couple months is that uh, the term uh, intifada, for for example, like I, I never knew really what that meant, and then somebody had at one of the events had explained it as sort of a, um, you know, the, the uprising, but it's also a global movement. So we're all a part of it. And that, that really didn't hit home until, until the last couple months, until I actually, you could see in real time that when we were out on the streets and then we were out sometimes in the same day that people throughout the world were out on the streets, then the, the following day, you would see a reaction from from the White House mm-hmm. or or even Israel, uh, even Netanyahu. Uh, they would we would they would change a little bit of their language. So I I've come to understand how important it is for us to do these things to speak, no matter how uncomfortable we are. Yep. And uh, so, if you could just speak to perhaps um, experiences you've had in in barriers and I know you mentioned the Muslim community being silenced oftentimes and sort of marginalized in all kinds of ways perhaps barriers that you've experienced as women of color and Palestinian women in in a town like this and as activists and in such a historically unpopular movement in America yeah sure um, so I definitely, I, there's a real fear, I think, um, especially for hijabis, um, for Arabs, Palestinians, um, not only because we're people of color, but also because um, of other things that kind of come along with like our communities. Like for example, in the Muslim community here, many people are refugees, um, immigrants, and they are really scared to, um, of, of being policed, of having their, um, their status as Americans taken away, being deported. Um, there's, there's stories of violence, um, being committed against, um, Muslims, um, Palestinians in America, um, who are speaking out or even just for existing. 
So there is um, a very real, I think, feeling of, you know, putting yourself out there and, and Muslims and especially women um, are like we, we kind of I always describe it as being like a walking beacon. Um, anywhere I go, people know what, that I'm Muslim because I wear a hijab. So I, I do think, though, um, that there is it is important to be careful and safe and like um, safety numbers and things like that. But I try not to let the fear stop me from using my voice. And I'm hoping that by using my voice and speaking up along with Inam and seeing um, women of color and Arab women doing this, maybe we can inspire others to be brave and and to do it as well, because it is scary. I'm not going to lie. I do sometimes when I'm walking, uh, when I walk in Spokane, I get yelled at, I get called a terrorist. Um, People do yell at me. Um, I've had really awkward conversations at work and um, people assume things about me um, just based on, you know, that I'm Muslim or that I'm pro-Palestine and say, you know, question my my allegiance to the United States, things like that. Um, Very much like how it felt after 9-11. So I would say that the biggest barrier is, you know, there's organizations that are paid uh, Zionist organizations that um, seek out people who speak up, especially those that are Muslim, and uh, kind of dox them and like come after their job and like the their their um, safety online. And so those are things that are definitely I would say are barriers to, to speaking up. But um, I, I try not to let it get to me, and I still try to use my voice as much as I can. Yeah, for me, um, I don't like cover my hair. I don't practice um, being a Muslim, but just being in Palestinian in general has always been scary for me. Um, I've always wanted to wear clothes to represent my country, but it's a lot of people have thoughts and think of us, you know, um, as a terrorist, and it's unfair. And I've we've actually, as a server here in Spokane, I'm a waitress, and. We've lost customers due to the fact of what is going on in Palestine and me speaking out about it, um, me wearing my clothes and going to work in it. It's always scary and thinking about what does this person think about me? Um, Are they going to say something? Are they, you know, it's just constant anxiety walking, representing my country. And it's unfair that I've always been scared to represent my country because of what they've always in a lot of people thought about us, but, um, yeah, I've had some threats and a lot of, you know, awful comments on social media. I like to post things and be the voice on social media and I've gotten a couple threats and comments, but I'm just tired of being scared. I just want to be able to live life without being feared. Well, I've noticed, I've been doing a lot of reading on, on the war, on the present war lately, and I'm often reminded about the whole war on terror. So like the whole last 20, 30 years, you know, or going back to the, you know, late seventies even. But my, uh, my kids essentially, uh, has, they spent their, their whole lives are like, we're in the war of terror. And, And the process is that the United States and other Western countries sort of implemented in fighting these wars. This is, I see this as a continuation of that. Like a lot of the things Israel is doing and a lot of the techniques it's using are reflective of things the United States has been doing for 20 years, you know, like, like terrorizing uh, people with drones and drone bombings and, you know, killing civilians, things like that. 
But uh, the question is that uh, as somebody who has, has, has suffered these uh, uh, indignities in the United States, have you seen a marked change like with this escalation of war? Like have you in your personal lives or known people in America who have experienced uh, increased uh, harassment and things like that as the war, the war escalated? I'm absolutely there's um, so one of my family members lives in Chicago and there was actually a a little boy who's six years old and he was killed um, for being Palestinian. You see those there was three boys in Vermont that were shot. There was um, a doctor, a a Muslim doctor in Texas um, who was who was attacked. Um, You see a lot of harassment for. Um, just existing as a Palestinian. And then for um, speaking up, you see uh, college kids, like college uh, students on campuses that are speaking up, getting followed, um, their pictures being put on vans and driven around campus. Mm. Um, Just horrible, horrible things, um, uh, things like that. There's websites that are dedicated to like documenting people who have spoken out. So I definitely would say as you know, ever since October 7th, that feeling that, that I felt after 9-11, I was just a kid then. Um, but now, you know, as an adult, I, I kind of start to notice it um, and feel that, that, that fear a little bit more than I did as a kid because I didn't really know any better. And I kind of want to go back to what, something you said too, which is like how it feels like a continuation of, you know, these past decades. And I would totally agree with that. I do. And I, and I think you can see that in how Israel uses their propaganda online. Um, you see like hashtags on Twitter, like, oh, Hamas is ISIS, right? And so they're trying to use that fear that um, you get from the Bush era after 9-11 where, oh, anybody, anybody Muslim is a terrorist is scary. You see them in an airport and you're scared of them, right? Um, and so you get, and then you see in Trump with the, the Muslim bans, right? And, and countries where Muslims are predominant. And I think that it, Israel knows that they can pretty much put in the barest minimum of, of effort and propaganda because the West sees Arabs and Muslims as, you know, barbaric, savage, scary, terrorist, all those horrible things. And that absolutely feeds into this overall fear of us and um, I think contributes to why there's increasing violence and Islamophobia and racism against Palestinians increasing, definitely. Absolutely. And I think that a lot of people really can't or have a hard time seeing the truth because the news really hasn't really been showing the Palestinian side. Um, You have to do your research and they'll there will be people that are posting live videos from Gaza and it will be taken off due to the fact that they don't want you to see what is actually really happening. Mm. Um, this hasn't just, you know, started in October 7th. This has been going on ever since I have been living and I'm 38 years old. Ever since I was a kid, I it just continues to get worse and worse. And now people are going to learn and know more because of all the media and social media that is actually out there that people can show you. Hmm. Oh, we, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back more with more conversation. I couldn't sleep, but when I did, I could hear bombs in my dreams, nightmares, situations. 
Abdul. Welcome back to Ceasefire Now. I have two special guests with me, local activists, As and Anam. Thank you so much for having us. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you about, uh, we were just discussing during the break, uh, just how many journalists uh, Israel has killed in this war, uh, specifically in Gaza, uh, professional journalists, but also like social media folks, people who spread uh, essentially freelance journalists and uh, civilians who spread information through social media so the world can hear about it. And they've, uh, they've been killed as well and silenced and imprisoned and taken hostage by, by IDF forces, etc. And that's in no small part why we're doing this show, because we want to get the messages out there. So, as can you please speak a bit on that? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I think I think like Inam was kind of talking about um, earlier, you're not going to get a full picture of what's going on from the mainstream news. Um, those are often completely um, ignoring what's happening on the ground. Um, if you watch uh, uh, certain certain news stations, they focus they really don't focus on um, the civilians that are being killed and what's affecting them. So. Um, Definitely something that I I do every day is I go on um, and follow uh, local journalists in Gaza who are reporting on what they're seeing. Um, One of my favorites is Bisan. And honestly, some of these uh, journalists feel like family to me because you care so much about um, their safety and well-being. And you see that like from 
how long this has been going and how long they've been showing this, like the look in their eyes and their pictures is just so haunted and they're so scarred. Motaz is another one who I really, um, I really look up to them and uh, I think they're incredibly brave for what they document. And if you watch their stories on Instagram or look on Twitter, they're absolutely just devastating absolutely horrible they're really hard to see um but i think that people should follow them and look and 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 make sure you're keeping up with what's going on because it's really easy in the imperial imperial sphere to just go on with your life and 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 as nothing has changed in the world but when you follow them you see what they go through every day and especially as a woman um uh, and i i see uh journals like plastia and bisan and and hind who are um uh, talking about things that are specifically affecting women, like uh, the especially in the hospitals that are running out of electricity and supplies. Um, you hear stories about women having to give birth with no anesthesia. Mm. You, you hear stories about um, like uh, mothers pulling their babies and strollers for miles and miles and miles, finding trying to find food and water um, and safe places that are away from the bombing. And um, I just, I, I, as a woman, it just, it really hurts, especially to, to see um, what they're going through. And, and, and I relate to them very much. I uh, was just kind of trying to explain to someone who was asking me like, well, why are you so passionate about Palestine? Like why, why, why have you like not, not, talked about anything else since October 7th, you know? Um, and I'm just like, well, when you see pictures of women who are hurting and, and not like who have passed away with their babies and they look like me, that feels really, especially hard. Um, because there are people that, that you see as your family, as your friends, they look like your family and friends, they are your family and friends. So it is just really hard. Um, and it almost feels like I was, I talked to Inam about this, like sometimes it, it's hard to sleep. Like I, I, when I close my eyes, I think I, I, all I can think about is Gaza. When I wake up, all I think about is, is Palestine and the West Bank and what's going on with them. So um, I definitely, uh, there was another story that Bisan posted about having to cut off all of her hair um, because uh, she doesn't have enough uh, resources to take care of it. And um, I, I actually cried about that because I have the exact same type of hair as her, um, same color and everything. So it just it just feels like these, um, when, when you, to know a Palestinian is to love a Palestinian. And when you follow, you follow them and you hear their stories, you love them and you care for them as if they were your own family. Hmm. Thank you, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, just being a woman and watching, you know, the loss of your kid, kids actually, not just one, over and over. Um, just being scared for your kids to be out there, just knowing that there is a possibility. I can't. It's okay. Thank I you. It's okay. It's really hard. I I always like whenever we start talking about it, it, I I literally get choked up every time. So don't don't worry. Yeah, take your time. Absolutely. So, as you're a you're an educator and you've uh, you've been an activist for for a long time, uh, can you speak to perhaps some of the challenges children face in the United States, uh, especially in, in places that aren't uh, that lack in diversity 
in, in many ways. Absolutely. And I, I think, um, for them and especially the, those that I work with and that I've taught in the past, they feel really alone. Um, they, they're especially at the age that I teach, which is like middle school, they are looking to find themselves in the world and feel loved and taken care of. And uh, I think in places like Spokane, where there's, you know, like people like Inam and I, like we kind of stick out, like we're not, um, there's not a whole lot of uh, people like us here in Spokane and kids, kids that are, um, kids feel that and they feel different and they they just want to fit in with everyone else and so I think that they feel that pain too um and you know I I just do the best that I can to try to help the the kids I that I work with and and especially the refugees and immigrants that I work with feel um that they belong here and I think that sending that message is the best thing that you can do and welcoming people that you know maybe they look different maybe they have a different religion than you but welcoming them and giving them love is really important absolutely and and um you uh you mentioned Palestine before and uh I just want, if you could briefly talk about what it's like for children in Palestine or perhaps in the past or uh, in in times of, you know, between war and just regular times, like what is it like for a kid to grow up in maybe like the West Bank and then maybe Gaza because those are two different places, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, we lived in the West Bank area. So night nightlife in the West Bank was going to Ramallah and that's where we would go. I mean, nine o'clock PM, there's people are serving food outside of the restaurants, all over music. It's just, it was our nightlife. I mean, but going there was always scary. Uh, you could get pulled over from the IDF um, for absolutely no reason. And several times when my dad would come uh, back to Palestine to visit us, his kids and mom and all of us, um, he would like let, take us out to Ramallah and we'd get pulled over. They would take him out of the vehicle. They'd harass him as we're sitting there crying and just hoping that they would release my dad. But with one thing that we really lucked out on is being an American citizen. Speaking English there was, you know, we got away a lot or just being a citizen in general and being in Palestine, uh, our lives are different than the Palestinians that are from there. Um, they are not going to hurt us because people are waiting for us to come back. I mean, we we could do school back and forth and all of our schools here in the United States knew that we'll be gone for a couple of years. So People are expecting us to come back. And as a citizen, they're not going to hurt you. They're not. They'll do their best to not hurt you, but they will harass you. And if you weren't a citizen, then your chances are you're either going to get arrested or being murdered in front of your children. And so I, I think you said before, or, or maybe in, in uh, through an, an email correspondence, that the, the IDF treat women, children, and men in certain ways, but oftentimes differently so like they'll recently they've been separating men from women and children and those you know those are techniques that have been used in the past oh yeah and always sort of uh obviously women children uh suffer uh disproportionately in many ways but also uh by by separating the men um is that something that that you've seen or that experienced in the past that they've I mean, targeted men and separated them? Oh yeah. They would come into our villages and just, you know, take any door down or 
if you open your door, you open your door. But if they want a child out of that home or they want a man out of that home, they're going to take him and you'll never see your kid. I don't know. Like they can take a five-year-old, six-year-old, doesn't matter how old they are. You're never going to see your kid again. And if you do, and they finally release them, they, they're not okay anymore. They're, they haven't been fed. They have been beaten. They're mental issues. They have just done what they've done and we have no idea. And sometimes you'll never have your child back. Don't know if they're dead. Don't know if they're still imprisoned. You have no idea. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's another thing, the, the imprisoned part. So they, and I mean, there's a lack of reporting, obviously, uh, but there's also language that's used. And so for, for instance, right now there's the, um, the hostage negotiations. So what's often said is that there's, uh, Hamas has taken hostages, but Israel uh, has prisoners. Yeah, right. Exactly. Although what you were just describing is they, the, the IDF would just kidnap Five-year-olds. How could they be prisoners? I mean, they would take whoever they want. They can pull, pull you over. I mean, it's, it was always scary, uh, even though knowing that, okay, there's no reason for them to do this. They, they will. Um, yeah, it's, they consider us Palestinians as prisoners and although we've done absolutely nothing and then their hostages are hostages unfortunately it's terrible and wish that never happened um yeah and just to add on to that too you see like the language used to describe um palestinian minors like youths as adults right hmm. like so 14 year old boys in palestine suddenly are not being um, talked about as if they are children, which they are, right? And um, you do see a lot of that kind of terminology used as like, oh, we got to protect the women and children, but what about the Palestinian men too? Mm -hmm. So I I think that... um, I think that paying attention to the language used in these things, like like you brought up, Russell, is really important and really telling. Yeah, I I read that uh, since October... Well, before October 7th... uh, 2023, Israel had, I don't know how many thousands, but thousands and thousands of Palestinians, I think it was well over 3,000, imprisoned, but essentially hostages because they weren't charged with anything. They were kidnapped, oftentimes in the middle of the night. So that's a a terror tactic in in itself. But since October 7th, in a little over two months, Israel has taken over 3,000 Palestinians hostage and imprisoned them in in the uh, in the West Bank territories, so outside of Gaza, and uh, along with along with torture and things like that. So I just wanted to make it clear that that uh, these are hostages, and uh, a great many, a disproportionate amount of them are children. Yep. Um, but that's beside the point because none of them are are being held with charges of any kind. Mm-hmm. We're going to take another break.
back to Ceasefire Now Radio. I have two special guests with me, local activists and Amanaz. Thank you for having us. We've been having some very serious conversation and but we've also had, you know, we've had lighter lighter fun and, and times when we've met in public and uh, activists aren't aren't always all about business. Um, but we have met throughout the community at different events. Uh, the local community has been quite creative with with trying to create different accessible events to try to uh, help educate the public and uh, expedite the, the, the ceasefire that is needed now for this war. Uh, I've had the privilege of watching you both speak in public, and you're amazing. You're both amazing speakers, and I look forward to seeing you speak in the uh, in the future. And I, I know it's nerve wracking, and I know uh, it does take a lot of courage to do, to, to get out there in front of everyone, especially for. Uh, saying unpopular things, um, but would you like to speak about some of the local um, organizing you've been involved in, some of the local activities in the past couple months that you would like to speak to? Absolutely, um, and thank you so much for for that. I know Enam and I have been really nervous about um, doing speeches in front of people, and the the last time I was lucky to hear Enam speak in front of the crowd, I mean, she brought everyone to tears because when you hear when you hear words from people who've experienced this, who have connections to Palestine, you really feel the heart of everything that she says. So I would, I would, um, I've been really actually, um, I really want to echo everything Inam said that when it, when I first started getting involved, it was really lonely. Um, and I felt, uh, very much like, there wasn't a lot of people that that cared about what was happening. But as soon as I started going to rallies, I went, the very first rally that I went to is hosted by the PSL, the Party for Socialism and Liberation at City Hall. They started a campaign to um, revise this resolution that City Hall put out supporting Israel. That started to really connect me with other Arabs, Palestinians, Muslims, and um, realize that actually there's a huge community here that's ready to support Palestine. Um, there's the um, co- Coalition for the Liberation of Palestine um, that meets every week to plan events. Um, there's uh, members of the local Muslim community. We just recently got together to make tatris, which is Palestinian embroidery. And um, you start to see all different kinds of people that are supporting Palestine, not just Muslims or Arabs, but all people, Americans, um, people from all walks of of life are supporting and we're getting to meet them and hear their voices which is really awesome there was um events at college campuses rallies at eastern there was rallies at gonzaga um there's um let's see am i forgetting anything you know did we have an educational one that we are doing yes uh the the there was um the people's council uh, is every week um now that the city hall campaign is because city hall is kind of closed for now um and i actually attended that one um by the psl and it was very engaging um i definitely think that people should check that out it was really educational and inspiring uh one of the speakers um was um a professor um who talked about the history of um kind of like the the how Zionism came to be and did an analysis of that. It was really interesting. 
So I definitely encourage people to check out local events. There's um, usually an event every week um, hosted by one of these organizations and tons of ways for anyone to get involved. So definitely check out. Um, Enam and I actually started a Facebook group, Spokane for Palestine, um, where we are um, sending out news of these events and trying to get people uh, involved because nobody should feel alone in this cause. There's tons of people that want to help and are organizing. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, well, I don't really know much about Palestine, but we're here to teach you, and I think the classes are every Tuesday. Yeah, are they Monday, Monday or Tuesday, yeah, but yeah. usually they've been on Monday. And you, we can teach you the history of Palestine and hopefully get you out here with us and see you guys at the uh, Spokane City Council every Monday at 5 o'clock. Um, yeah. Yeah, and definitely stay tuned because we have a lot more things planned. Uh, we are not going to give up until Palestine is free. So uh, you'll see us. You'll see us around Spokane, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much for both of you being on. Thank you Thank, for having us. Here. Thank you so much, Russell. It's been it's been honestly just really inspiring to to get to meet everyone connected to the cause. Everyone has been amazing people. I hope to have you both back on someday. Yes. You don't have to answer now, but that would be great. (laughs) I think we can manage that. I think so, too. (laughs) All right. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Ceasefire Now Radio, KYRS Spokane. And uh, we would love to hear feedback from you. Uh, If you have any comments, please uh, email us. Uh, You can find information on our website. And... Until uh, next time, free Palestine. Free Palestine. Free Palestine. <laughs>